Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The book of Matthew, chapter 16. Our scripture tonight, Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. tonight on the question, what is the church? What is the church? Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but to my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's bow for just a moment of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful weekend that we have been allowed to share for last night and the tremendous fellowship that we had as we sat down to eat together. Thank you, Lord, for providing so bountifully for us. Thank you for the warmth and the friendship and the love that we find in this congregation. Thank you, Lord, for the service this morning, for all the mothers that were present, the privilege that we had to honor them. Thank you for the good attendance and for the warmth that we felt this morning. Now, Lord, as we come tonight, close of a good weekend, we praise your name for all that has come our way. Lift up to you those who are burdened, have problems, who are ill, but within your will, according to your might, you would bless their lives as well as ours. Lord, as we meet tonight, fellowship, worship, thank you for this opportunity. Bless our togetherness, we pray in Christ's name. that you don't find in the Old Testament. It just isn't there. The word church. This is the first time it's used in, in the Bibles when Jesus uses it. He had on an occasion after he had come to 
Caesarea Philippi, said to his disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? What are you hearing? That's an interesting question. If uh, I suspect that all of us at times would like to know what others are saying about us. Jesus wanted to know. And so they responded, well, some people saying that you're John the Baptist has come back to life, or maybe you're Elijah, or maybe even Jeremiah has come back to earth, or, or maybe one of the other prophets. There was a lot of speculation that he was a prophet that had returned to life from Old Testament days and had come, come back to, to Israel. They were making all kinds of responses, but Jesus pins them down and and says, well, all right, but who do you say I am? Now, it's easy to say what somebody else says, but when we're pinned down to give our own testimony as to who Jesus really is, then we've got to be certain that we are satisfied in our mind and heart as to who he is to us. And so Peter makes a response for the group very likely. They were ones who would wait for him to speak, and, and he said, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A good answer. It was a right answer. And Jesus responds to him and uh, praises him and said, blessed are you, Simon. Simon bar Jonah is the the King James means son of. The word bar, whenever you see it in the New Testament, means son of. Jesus, son of Jonah, sometimes that's called, that is pronounced John. Very likely, Peter's father's name was John, and this Jonah is a colloquial slur of his name. So, blessed are you, Simon son of John or Jonah. And the reason he said blessed is because it's not flesh and blood, not what you see that revealed this to you. You didn't come upon this answer by what you have observed. But he said that my Father which is in heaven has revealed this to you. But the key to tonight's message is the 18th verse. When Jesus continues to make a response to Peter, he says to Peter, I say to thee that thou art Peter. Notice he called him Simon in verse 17, which was his uh, given name. He calls him Peter in verse 18. And he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there are several things in that verse that we need to note. Number one, he is talking about something that he is going to build sometime yet in the future. It hasn't been built yet. I will build, he says, my church. Now, the word for church in the Greek is ecclesia. 
ecclesia. Uh, that's where we get the word clergy from that same word. And the word in Greek means the called out ones. And so he is using a term here. I am going to build a body of called out people. Over in the book of Ephesians, in the second chapter, the same word occurs, and Paul is using the word there, and it is translated household of God. And so it would certainly appear that Jesus is about to establish a body of people. Not a building, but a body of people. A call out of the world group. A group that could be called the household of God. And then he says, I will build my church. It is the church that belongs to the Lord. And in many other places we find that the church is referred to as the bride of Christ for whom he will come back uh, at, the, at the second coming. Now, notice again then a third thing, that it is a singular church, not churches. He did not say, I am going to build churches. He said, I am going to build my church, singular, one. Now, there are lots of churches, and the numbers of them are growing every day. Not only church organizations, but denominations, groups of people who get together and call themselves by some name or other. Uh, I notice that there is a new church right near where I, we live there, near the swimming pool, called the Madison Christian Fellowship. A new organization. I don't know their, their theology or their background, but it's a new group with a new name that is not common, at least in this area, maybe somewhere. He is not talking about establishing a group here and a group there and a group somewhere else, one in Turtle Creek and several in Danville and a few in Madison and, and Logan and so on. He is talking about establishing one church. We get too hung up on trying to identify ourselves as Baptists and others as Methodists and, and so on. And then even amongst Baptists, there is a lot of effort trying to keep ourselves separated from United Baptists, American Baptists, Free Will Baptists, General Association of Regular Baptists, Independent Baptists, and all kinds of groups. These are names that were established by people, not by Jesus. He was building a single, singular group. One organization, although he wasn't even thinking in terms of organization, one body that would be together, one group of people who would worship and serve him without regard to the human titles that we place upon them. Now, there's nothing wrong with having denominations, and I'm glad that, that I'm a Baptist and will always be one, I think. But I have no problem with people who call themselves by other names. The one problem I have that I want to have an answer to is, do you believe in and have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And that's the bottom line. 
If that is true, then we certainly ought to be able to associate and fellowship with anybody who makes that common claim. That is the church, the people who belong to Jesus Christ. But he says that he is going to establish this body. I will build my church upon something. And this has always been a, an issue, an argument amongst churches, and we still over hundreds and hundreds of years have cannot yet agree as to upon what did Jesus establish his church. The Catholics say that it was upon Peter himself. There are others who would say that it is not upon Peter, but it is upon the testimony that Peter gave, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That the church was built upon that affirmation. And that's good. I think there is no doubt that we would have to agree that the church is built upon the declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God. But is that what Jesus was saying? And the, the third possibility is that the church was built upon Christ himself. And that's what Jesus actually said in this verse. Now I hold to that statement. That Jesus is not saying, I'm building my church upon Peter. Nor was he saying, I'm building my church upon the statement that you have made, Peter. He is saying, I'm building my church upon myself. Now, you may not agree with this, and that's perfectly all right, but I want you to, to listen to what the possibilities are here. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, and then if you want to turn there, fine. Uh, while you're turning, let me make this statement, that oftentimes we try to uh, take a passage of Scripture out of... Uh, context and make one statement stand without consideration of the rest of the scriptures. Now, if, if the statement in verse 18 here in Matthew were the only statement we had about the foundation of the church, we would have difficulty denying that it may very well have been established upon Peter. We might have difficulty denying that it was established upon Peter's statement of faith. And my statement that I'm about to make now would probably not fit at all when I'm saying that Jesus was saying he was establishing the church upon himself, not upon Peter. We couldn't get that out of verse 18 unless we put it with other passages of Scripture. It just wouldn't fly. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 makes a very definite statement that supports what I am attempting to say that Jesus built the church upon himself. When in verse 20 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says, and uh, getting in the middle of a statement, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What is the real uh, key to the church? It is Christ. He is the cornerstone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, For no other foundation can any man lay than that is laid, Jesus, which is Jesus Christ. Now, you take 1 Corinthians 3, no other foundation can be laid except Jesus Christ. 
you take uh, Ephesians 2.20, when Paul says that Jesus is the cornerstone, and put that into verse 18 of this chapter, we have to realize that Jesus surely must have been talking about something else other than Peter as being the foundation of the church, or even Peter's statement. Now, a lot of it is tied up in the word Peter. I'm giving you a, maybe a little bit of more uh, background than you would like to know about this, so tune me out if you don't want to hear this, but the word Peter in Greek is uh, the word Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. That's important to understand. The word Peter is spelled P-E-T-R-O-S, which means little rock or little stone. Or some people even translate it little pebble. But it carries the idea of being small. Peter probably was a small man by his name. Jesus said, Thou art Petros, thou art a little rock, a little stone. And then he goes on to say, And upon this rock, R-O-C-K, and the Greek word for R-O-C-K is P-E-T-R-A, a totally different word than what he used for Peter. So what he's saying is upon this, uh, thou art a little stone, Peter, but upon this rock, this massive stone, I will build my church. And what is the mass, the foundation that we'll give other than Jesus Christ himself? So, I want to uh, state emphatically that I believe that we have lost something in the translation, the understanding of this passage of Scripture, if we leave it to say that the church was founded on Peter, or even upon his statement of faith, I believe that Jesus is saying the church was founded upon himself, the massive rock, the foundation, the corner, that cannot be ignored. This is the foundation of the church. All right, secondly, what is the nature of the church? What's the church for? I want to make four basic statements about the nature of the church. Number one, the church is a people. I've already made reference to that. The church is not a building. We spend a lot of time building buildings and probably not near enough time building churches. I hope you can make the distinction between the two. We ought to be spending our time building Bodies of people founded upon Jesus Christ. Buildings are important, and we must have them. And I am so thankful that we have what we have here. I would not diminish in any way from the importance of the building as long as we understand that a building is simply here to serve people. It's what happens in the hearts and lives of people that is important and not what happens within the walls of a building. We will have no church of importance if all we have is a building. We must have people whose lives have been transformed and changed. So, number one, in this statement I want to say that the church is a body of people. Secondly, 
if the church is a body of God's people, people who belong to God, it is not simply an association of good moral individuals who decide to get together and conduct services or have programs. This is not the church. We are an association of saved people, not good people. And there's a difference between the two. We are all sinners saved by grace who believe in the redemption of our souls by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. This makes us a church. Unfortunately, lots of organizations have people in them who are good people but who are not saved people. Members of this organization, the Olive Branch Missionary Baptist Church, are not the church unless they're saved. They might belong to the organization, but they don't belong to, quote, the church without being redeemed. So the church, literally, is that group of people who are a part of the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Thirdly, a church is a fellowship. By that I mean a group of people who participate in a common goal, a common purpose. A body that shares the good things that we find in Jesus Christ. We come together because we are, have been saved. And as the scripture says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. A church is the assembling then of a body of believers who want to come together because they want the fellowship that takes place. We love each other and share together with each other. And that makes us a church. A body that is more interested in the welfare of other people than we're interested in our own welfare. A body of people that is not self-centered, who is not out to take care of number one, but will uh, give up our rights in order that somebody else might have a blessing or be served. That makes us a fellowship of God's people who will turn away from our own needs in order that we might uh, serve somebody else. But fourthly, and perhaps more importantly than the other three, is the church is that body of people who acknowledges that Jesus is our head. That's all that makes us a church. When Paul was speaking to the Ephesians over in chapter 5 about the relationship of husbands and wives, he talked about the fact that the husband is the head of the wife, but he gave an illustration, and it's the illustration that I want us to think about. He said, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Without a head, we have no body. He must be the supreme one in our group, in our midst. A church, then, is that body of God's people 
who gets together for fellowship that recognizes that everything is subordinate to Jesus Christ. He is our head. He said that he was the vine and we're the branches. And we as a church recognize that there's no power in ourselves. We can produce no fruit except as we're connected to the source, which is, of course, Christ himself. All right, point number three that I want to make then uh, is to talk about the mission of the church. Really, why did he establish the church? When he said to Peter, I say to thee that thou art Peter upon this rock, I will establish my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What did he establish us to do? I want to make four statements about why we are a church, what the church is all about, what our function is, what we are, the Lord expects of us. And we might interchange some of these a bit, but I think the number one that I'm going to mention must be in number one position, and that is the mission of the church, first and foremost above anything else, is to worship the Lord God. To worship. Ephesians 1.12 says, For we should be to the praise of his glory. That's why we're here, to praise God. Ephesians 5.19 says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I don't know if we realize that when we sing, our purpose in singing is to praise God, not to entertain ourselves. Although entertainment is fine, and I think we probably ought to do more entertaining of ourselves in singing, but when we sing the gospel hymns and the songs that we do, and all kinds of things in our worship services and in our, our singing conventions and that sort of thing. The primary purpose for which we do that should be designed to be an act of worship. We must be very cautious that we don't reduce ourselves to putting on a performance or enjoying a performance. We have been conditioned through school, and by particularly now that television is so prominent, we have been conditioned to watch a performance. You all watch me perform, or Danny perform, or the choir perform. Uh, we have a tendency to be observers instead of participators. And this, this is the wrong approach. The church is designed to be a body of people that does something together. And although somebody does perform, and somebody else sits and listens or observes, together we ought to be making a unit whereby it is all designed to praise God. Okay? Amen. That's exactly right. So, the first purpose of the church must always be to worship. 
above anything else, worship even before evangelism. But I think evangelism comes next, and that's where I want to put it. We are called to be witnesses. We believe as Baptists and others like us believe that there is a strong call in the scripture to evangelize. We are called to witness to the lost of this world in order to win them that they might come and do with us step number one, which is worship. Out of our activities and out of our, our testimonies and the way we live daily, everything in our life ought to be designed to win people to Jesus Christ. Along that same line, we have a strong mission background. We believe that the Lord gave us the Great Commission for the purpose of going into the world, teaching people to observe, uh, that to do what he have, they have observed in him, to be witnesses, and then once uh, the witness have been uh, become fruitful and people have been saved, to baptize and to lead them in the way of uh, the Christian life. There is a strong emphasis in the scriptures that the church is a body of witnesses who proclaim the gospel of Christ for the purpose of running them to the lost. We should be sharing what we have, what we know, what we believe with those who do not, not only in Turtle Creek or in Boone County, but as the scripture says, in the uttermost parts of the world, wherever we can have some influence, we should share in that. So the second purpose church then, is to be a witnessing body. Thirdly, our third purpose then ought to be to serve others. Serve others. Now, I think it's all state insurance that has the, uh, the statement, like a good neighbor, they reach out. The church must be a good neighbor. Jesus gave us the story of the man who fell among thieves. And three men came by. One was a priest. The man was lying in the ditch, stripped of his clothing, beaten, half dead. And the priest just looked at him and passed on by. And a Levite came down and looked at him and passed on by. And it was a Samaritan, a despised person of that time, who actually had compassion on him and went over to him and picked him up and bound up his wounds and put him on his own animal and took him to an inn, and that was their hospitals in those days, and uh, took care of him there and offered to pay the cost of whatever the care might be to restore that man to health. This is the church in its third purpose, to be a body of people who reach out to those who are in need. Sometimes, we have a tendency to look after ourselves and not be too much concerned about what other people have need of. There is physical need that we need to, to be concerned about as well as spiritual need. Uh, Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 2, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. That's a little difficult verse if you take it literally from the King James. But what it means is, 
every Christian should be more concerned about the welfare of his neighbor than he is about his own. That's the Christian way. We were established as a good neighbor to reach out and assist those in the community and around the world who have needs. Now this brings us to a point of talking about what sometimes is referred to as the social gospel. There are lots of people who, who have complained that there are churches who do nothing but to preach a social gospel, as if this were wrong to, to have some concerns about social issues. A lot of our Baptist churches have objected to what is known as the social gospel. I tell you, we are a social group. We must preach a social gospel. By that, I mean this, and don't tune me out till you hear me. There are issues that affect people in our communities, in our country, in our state, for whom we must have a real vital concern. I think we must take a strong stand on abortion. That's a social issue. But it is an issue that has its roots in the church, in the very teachings of Christ. We cannot allow, as far as I am concerned and believe the scripture teaches, to continually allow babies to be aborted as simply a means of convenience. And that's what it has been reduced to in its common denominator. We ought to be a people who stand up and would fight for the rights of those who cannot fight for themselves. And unborn babies are those. There are reasons at times for abortions, but not the way it's being done in our state and in our country. I think we ought to be on the offensive when it comes to the social gospel of dealing with drugs. There ought not to be silence in the church when it comes to the way that the drug traffic is invading our community. And we have to join with other bodies that are in the same uh, frame of mind and deal with those issues and fight them at the polls and with legislation and with whatever other means that it's possible. That's social gospel where it ought to be. Fighting for the issues that affect the lives of people that's what the church is about. The same thing's true of child abuse and uh, wife beating and, and, well, even the reverse, uh, uh, let's say spousal abuse. And all the other abuses that we see in our culture that are not godly, not Christian. The church must say, hey, we will not accept that kind of action. We're going to work and do whatever we can to deal with those issues. The church is here to serve people as we represent Christ. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And wherever he found those issues, he dealt with them. We, the church, must be the same. We must not think that we're here to be served by somebody else. We're here as a body who goes out to serve, wherever that might be. And lastly, church is established to be a teaching body to teach. One of the real concerns that I have about people in general in the church is that so many of our people do not really know what they believe. Now, 
for the most of you, this will not be true. And certainly one of the things that happens on Wednesday nights, probably more than any other time, is that we learn about what we believe and why we believe it. And this is important that we do this. We need to be a body of people who know what our theology is. What do we believe the Scripture teaches about all the various issues that face us? Know what we believe, why we believe it, and then advocate it. We have a reason for believing what we believe. Last Wednesday night, we dealt with uh, the issue of what's called the priesthood of believers. If that's a strange title to you or a term, uh, talk to me after search and I'll uh, try to explain it to you. But that is an important thing for us to understand and believe. We need to know why we believe in baptism and what it means, what eternal security means, and all the other things that we have, that we deal with. Uh, why the communion service and uh, why church membership and what does it mean to believe that the blood of Christ cleanses from sin and on and on and on we could go. All these things we ought to know if we believe it and if we do why we believe it and so on. The church is set up and designed by the Lord to teach, and that was in the Great Commission, to teach the people what he had taught us. That's what he said to the disciples, and that's what he's saying to us. So, the mission of the church is, number one, to worship, number two, to witness, number three, to be of service to other people, and number four, is to teach others about Jesus Christ what he would have us know about his scripture. That's the mission of the church. And it will be done properly when we have a church that believes that it is a chosen people of God who are in a fellowship and acknowledge Jesus Christ as our King. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.